Welcome to Soul City. My name is Jeannie Stevens. I'm one of the lead pastors here. I especially want to welcome those of you that are here in our auditorium right now, those of you that are watching in our overflow spaces, as well as those of you that are joining us online. I am so, so thrilled uh, about where I sense the Spirit of God is going to take us today. As John said, we are in our final week of this series, Me Also Me. And I had planned to do a message today that I was really excited about, a message on how do you understand your unique personality and how does that unique personality affect your relationships? How does it affect the me that people see and even the me that people often don't see? But you will not be hearing that message today. I'm pretty sure it was gonna be a fabulous message. But about a month ago, a dear friend of mine who goes to Soul City, Melissa Molitor, sent me an email and it said this, something has been burning on my heart. And I know talking about depression and suicide isn't a glamorous topic, but I know so many that struggle every day. I would love for Soul City to address this, and I want you to know, I wanna help. I read her email, and I had such a deep, deep, deep knowing within that the message that I had planned to give was not the message that God asked me to give. Now, strangely, that same week, I received another email from a guy named Stephen Jarrett. He asked me to preach a message (laughs) on how spouses could be more supportive of one another's hobbies. He then went on to give me a few examples, things like if your spouse is into riding motorcycles, or if your spouse is interested in seeing every single Star Wars movie on the opening day, or if your spouse is interested in pursuing a side career as being a DJ. I didn't get a chance to actually get back to him, but I thought I would take this opportunity right now to let him know I will not be doing a message on how to support your spouse's habits, ever. So for those of you looking to get a message preached around here, I guess the moral of the story is sometimes it works, sometimes it does not. But I am praying that the Holy Spirit um, ministers That's actually what I am praying, that we would experience ministry in this place today, that you would experience the ministry of the Spirit in a profound way, and that we would have an undeniable transformational encounter with the living God. So before I dive in, I would love to pray for us. Will you pray with me? Jesus, I pray that you would take these words you would take these thoughts. Lord, that you would allow whatever is to come out of my lips that is pleasing, that is honoring, to come out in anything that is not of you, God, just keep it within. I pray for a movement of your spirit to turn the lights on to those of us that have been in darkness. I pray this in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Well, in the early spring of 2005, 
Jarrett and I had just found out that we were expecting our very first child. We were overjoyed, we were excited because we had actually intentionally chosen to wait to start a family. We had been married for nine years, but we were ready to kind of like take a go at parenting. Now the interesting thing is, is we felt like in many ways uh, we had been parenting for many years. Uh, We were the youth ministers at our church. Uh, We were youth pastors to thousands of kids. And, And so these kids, we loved on them and we cared for them. We opened up our home to them. We invested in middle school and high school students and young adults for many, many years. And and one of those students that had particularly captured our hearts was a girl named Lori Bonsamino. We had the privilege of knowing Lori and her family all through her high school years and into her early years in college. Lori was just one of those students that somehow stood out. Uh, She was passionate about her faith. She was warm and kind and loving to everyone. She went on several missions trips with our student ministry. She spoke at this big end of the year senior night that we had, and she was deeply, deeply respected by her friends. Lori was one of those girls that wasn't just fun. She was funny. She could kind of change the environment uh, by her humor. She could get anyone laughing, and she was a deep soul. Uh, The notes that Lori wrote to me throughout the years were filled with such profound thoughts and words. I remember 2005, on a cold day in the beginning of March, we had heard that Lori, who was supposed to return home one evening, did not come home. This wasn't normal behavior, so of course her family was alarmed. They began to do a search, and I remember when I heard about this, I felt such a contradiction of emotions because a part of me thought, this is Lori, she's fine, Uh, you know, maybe she just didn't check in, but then another part of me felt a deep, deep fear. After searching for Lori for two days, the police eventually found her Jeep parked in the city with a letter indicating that she had chosen to end her life. Lori died by suicide in Lake Michigan. I remember the shock. I remember the overwhelming sadness. I remember the grief that felt like a weight just came down and weighed all of us that loved Lori with so much confusion. I remember the the countless students that had been in our youth ministry that were perplexed and they were riddled with the same question. The question of why? Why? Why Lori? Why this? Why didn't we know that she was struggling, and we were utterly heartbroken. And I remember after finding out her brothers called us up and asked Jarrett and I to come over to their house and to to be with them and to pray with them. And while we were there, I remember them asking us 
if we'd be willing to perform Lori's memorial service. And I still, I can remember walking into their house. I can remember sitting at their kitchen table. I remember seeing pictures of Lori. I remember holding Lori's mom, Barb, as she wept. And my inner prayer in that moment was, God, this is too much. This assignment is beyond me. There are no words that can be given. There's nothing that can be said. How, how God, can we lift what is so dark and desolate in this moment? How can we lead a whole community of people through this kind of loss? And somehow, somehow God carried all of us through the honoring of Lori's life. And even as I corresponded with Lori's mom this week to seek her blessing and to ask her permission to tell her story, she said, please, tell Lori's story tell her story and show her picture because what we began to more clearly understand as time went on that there was so much more going on beneath the surface in Lori's life. She had an undiagnosed mental illness that had kept her in a silent chamber of depression and anxiety and the bright light that we saw in Lori was slowly snuffed out by the darkness that was taking over her mind. And whether mental illness, anxiety, or depression has washed up onto your shore, or it has washed up onto the shore of someone that you love, and they find themselves in the middle of these choppy seas. I think at some point in all of our lives, we find ourselves asking the question, how do you get through what you're going through? I mean, have you found yourself asking that question? How do you get through what you're going through? I mean, how on earth do we actually make it some days? Life is filled with so many stresses. Yesterday, I was driving around my daughter and one of her friends, and it was so cute to hear their conversation in the back seat. They were talking about what they thought they would be like when they became adults. I didn't have the heart to tell them that adulting is hard. And it's not just hard some days. Sometimes it feels hard every day. And life sometimes leaves us asking, how do you get through what you're going through? And of all of the places in the world, the church has to be willing to talk about these things. Of all of the places, of all of the communities. We have to be willing to talk about these things, to talk about the reality of mental illness in our world, and what do we do 
What do every single one of us, what do we do when anxiety attacks? You know, as we began the series a few weeks ago, Jarrett showed us this image. He showed us the image of the iceberg. And he reminded us that there is a me that we let the world see, but there is also a me that is often struggling beneath the surface. And what lies beneath each of us is often so many feelings and stories that are never given the full freedom to come up into the light. And when it comes to mental illness and the anxiety that so many of us suffer from, it's not just our stories, it's not just our feelings. Mental illness attacks the mind. Specifically, your thoughts. And while I cannot in any way speak to all of the realities and the depths of mental illness today, I want to make sure we open up our eyes and we turn the lights on to the reality of how so many of us are living with a wounded mind beneath the surface. Did you know that one in five adults in America experience mental illness? means at some point in a person's life, they experience a sense of hopelessness in their thoughts that begin to drown them in the darkness, and that darkness often leads to a silent struggle. Nearly one in 25, 10 million adults in America live with a serious illness. They live with a debilitating disease that has a profound and serious effect on their relationships, their work, their bodies, and their thoughts. One half of all chronic mental illness begins by the age of 14. Three quarters by the age of 24. This is happening often to young people. People that have barely traveled through a decade or two of life and their thoughts are flooded with torment and there is an anchor of anguish and affliction that continues to pull them deeper under waves that they don't know how to survive in. Approximately 10.2 million adults have a co-occurring mental health and addiction disorder. So not only are so many suffering in a silent chamber in their minds. Those that struggle with mental illness often develop addictions that they hope, they hope will bring relief. They hope will be a, a source of coping to, to ease the pain. But often what happens is it leads to more inner conflict as their addictions literally begin to hold them hostage. 90% of those who die by suicide have an underlying mental illness, and suicide is the 10th leading cause of death in the US. And these are real stats. These are real people. And these stats, you would think, they would cause us to, to ring the bell, to sound the alarms, but instead there is still so much stigma and shame that is associated with mental illness. So many lies, so much confusion and opinions that cause those that suffer to suffer alone in their silence. 6.9% of Americans 
live with major depression. 18.1% of American adults live with an anxiety disorder. As I was researching and studying for this message over the past couple of weeks, a holy discontent began to rise up inside of me and wants to say to this house here at Soul City today, not on our watch. Not on our watch. The thought of anyone in this house suffering in silence brought me to my knees over and over again as I prayed that God would somehow literally take a spotlight from heaven and shine a bright light down onto the corner of Adams and Racine this morning. Because the thought of a Lori being amongst us causes my heart to break and for the alarms to go off in the deepest part of my soul. Do you know that suicide is the first leading cause of death for kids aged 10 to 14? And it's the third leading cause of death for ages 15 to 24. This is why we need faithful, loving volunteers in Soul City Kids and Soul City Students. My prayer after today is that Soul City Kids would literally have to turn away volunteers. That a generation would rise up and say, I will not let any child get to that age wondering if they are loved wondering if they are worthy, wondering if they are needed and wanted in this life. You know, these stats are so sobering. There's a thickness and a weight to all of this. And I believe the reason that it is so heavy is because we know, the the church, we know what Jesus has said to us. That every one of us is a dearly loved son, a dearly loved daughter. We are all children of God. And Jesus was so clear when he gave his instructions to us as a church. He said, here's the thing. I'm going to give you a whole new commandment. All those other commandments, listen, let me boil it down for you. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. The command is clear, isn't it? I read all kinds of different versions of the text to see if there was a loophole, (laughs) to see if there were exceptions to the command, if there is some kind of asterisk in some other version in the scriptures that gives us a free pass when loving someone that is struggling is hard. Guess what, I couldn't find one. One of the primary lies that those up against the ropes with mental illness believe is that they are somehow unworthy of love. That they are somehow beyond being lovable. And to believe that there is something faulty or flawed about who you are is to believe that you are somehow past the limit of receiving love and you therefore then live in a prison that feels like darkness. But if we, the church, are going to live out what Jesus taught us, we have to be willing to turn the lights on for one another. 
We have to be willing to turn the lights on for one another because that's what love does. That's what love does. If you want to know what love does, love turns the lights on. Love turns the lights on. That's what Jesus taught us to do. I even went and got a t-shirt printed. Love turns the lights on. There's only one made. They're not for sale in the resource center today. But this is what love does. It turns the lights on. And if you are struggling, you need to know you are not the only one. Do you know that this book, the scriptures are filled with people struggled, struggled in the darkness. David was troubled, battled, deep despair. It says in Psalm 38:4, my guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. Elijah was so discouraged and weary and afraid that he said, I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm not better than my ancestors. Jonah, at one point, was in such deep despair that he literally asked God to take his life. He said, now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Moses, he was overwhelmed with the weight of leadership. Any leaders in this space? The leadership mantle and the leadership weight of holding authority can be overwhelming at times, can't it? Moses was so overwhelmed as a leader that he felt buried under the weight of the pressures of authority. He said in Exodus 32, 32, God, forgive them of their sin, and if you cannot, then just blot, blot me out of the book that you have written. Jeremiah wrestled with great loneliness and feelings of defeat and insecurity. He said, cursed be the day that I was born. Why did I ever come even out of the womb to see trouble and sorrow and to end my days in shame? At some point, at some point, each of these stories, each of these people, they cried out and they asked for help. The very fact that it is recorded in the scriptures shows us that they spoke up. They said out loud to God and eventually to someone else, I don't know how to turn the lights on anymore. I don't know how to turn the lights on anymore. And I need you to hear me say, I am not saying that mental illness will go away if we speak up. I would never, I would never say that. But I want you to hear me say, if you are struggling, you are not meant to struggle alone. You are not meant to struggle alone. When you are in the darkness, you have to ask for help. And often that help needs to be professional. It sometimes includes medication, but it always needs community. Amen? It always needs community. And the loop of darkness that gets formed in our minds can only be replaced with a loop of light. 
It can only be replaced with a loop of light. The only way the loop of darkness that is circling your mind can begin to experience healing is if you begin to circle it with light. And that requires us saying it's dark and I have forgotten how to turn the lights on. C.S. Lewis once said, mental pain is less dramatic than physical pain, but it's more common and also more hard to bear. The frequent attempt to conceal mental pain increases the burden. It's easier to say, my tooth is aching, than to say, my heart is broken. And I know the temptation is to just pretend. I once heard someone say that the only thing more exhausting than having a mental illness is pretending like you don't. But pretending is silent suffering. No one would ever tell someone with a broken arm, hey, you know what you should do? You should just pretend for a little while that it doesn't hurt, and I bet you it's going to go away. No one ever would say to a person with a broken leg, here's what I think you should do. You know what? You just walk it off. Just walk it off. Just just pretend it doesn't hurt so bad. Sooner or later, it'll heal itself up. When someone experiences a physical illness, what they receive is sympathy. But when someone experiences a mental illness, usually what they experience is shame. So if every other bone in your body and every other organ within gets support, why wouldn't your mind deserve the same? Why wouldn't your mind deserve the same, but yet silence so often is, is the loudest scream? So often we feel that we, we have to stay silent. So I want to invite us as a church to begin to actually pay attention to one another's silence. To not just pay attention to what we are saying, but to also learn to begin to pay attention to what we are not saying. To move beyond the question, hey, how's it going? But to begin to be a community of people that says, how are you doing Really? How are you doing really? And then to never accept fine as a fine answer. Now, I I know in this community, I, I love this community so much, and I know that in this community, there are some of you that are already raring to go. You are ready to brave heart your way through this question. You are ready to ask every single person you encounter today, how are you doing? Really? Some of you just turned to the person next to you and you quietly said, how are you doing? (laughs) Really? And they ignored you because they're trying to pay attention. So some of you, you you just need to work on your timing. It's just a timing thing. But when you ask... How are you doing really? Your job as the person asking the question is to just hold space. Just hold space. You don't have to have an answer. You don't have to have the right words. You don't have to solve what's going on in their life. You just have to create a little loop of light. 
a little loop of light. You know, one supportive person reduces the risk of suicide by 30%. Love turns the lights on. That's what love does. Love walks around and turns the lights on for one another. And while I know that there are some among us that are struggling with mental illness or you have a loved one that is struggling, I know that everyone in this room at some point in their life has felt overwhelmed by the weight of anxiety. True? I mean, how many of you in this room at some point you have had an anxious thought? If you are not raising your hand, you have never had a park in the city of Chicago. <laughs> I feel anxiety every time I parallel park. <laughs> anxiety is a normal human feeling. It's a normal human feeling. Let me dispel that for you. Anxiety is a normal human feeling. It's no less normal than joy and fear and excitement and anger. And there are so many different circumstances in our lives that can bring on this feeling, that can bring on anxiety. All of the different social pressures, the different work-related stresses that we deal with, financial difficulties, medical worries, relational tension, issues with your kids, giving a message on anxiety. I have felt anxiety this week. I felt anxiety because no part of my heart wants to say the wrong thing. No part of me wants to discredit anyone that feels alone in the darkness. I've so wanted to offer hope and humbly teach God's word with compassion and a sense of challenge, but all of that jumbled up inside of me. I experienced anxiety this week. And you know, anxiety, to better understand it, it resembles fear, but when a person experiences fear, they know what they're afraid of, whereas anxiety is often less specific. With anxiety, what occurs is a thought loop that circles your mind, borrowing a future possibility and then making it a present reality. We've said this so many times around here at Soul City that worry and anxiety, what they do is they borrow a future possibility and they make it a present reality. And anytime this happens in your life, anxiety is happening. And the Bible actually has a lot to say about this. In fact, if you go all the way back to Genesis, to, to the very beginning of the scriptures, it says in the, in the beginning of Genesis, then God said in Genesis 1.26, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So your heart, your body, your very essence was fashioned after the image of God. You are the imago Dei. That sounds pretty important, doesn't it? You are the imago Dei, and that includes your mind. Your mind was made following the pattern of God, so essentially your mind was made for love, but what it has learned to do is be anxious. Your mind was made for love, but what it has taught itself to do is be anxious. 
That's why it says actually in the book of Romans that the anxiety that your mind has adopted, the anxiety that your mind in some cases has even mastered needs to be transformed. It needs to be renewed. Romans 12.2 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Whenever we experience an anxious thought, our mind goes back to the loop. Our mind goes back to the loop. Back to the loop of darkness. When you face uncertainty at work, maybe you have a a new boss or or the market has changed or your company looks like it's going to be sold and, and your mind starts racing and your mind starts revving and you spend all of your extra time on LinkedIn trying to find a new job. That's anxiety. When your kids enter into a new season and you begin to worry over and over and over again, will they transition well? Will, will they be connected to their teacher? Will, will they find some friends? Will this new childcare situation actually be a good childcare situation? Because the last childcare situation was really not good. When you roll that over and over and over in your mind, that's anxiety. Finances. Maybe when you, when you get a bill, or maybe when you ignore a bill. You see, we tend to get anxious about the money that we have and we get anxious about the money that we don't have. That's why God says we have to transform our minds through the process of renewal. I had so many people reach out to me this week when I posted that I was speaking on anxiety. One person said that they feel like anxiety has crowded them out of their own mind. That anxiety has has literally crowded them out of their own mind. And this is so often what a loop of anxious thought does. It crowds us out, and there's no space. And God calls us to renew our minds by making space. And so often it feels too much. Our minds feel too crowded, because we are absorbing too much. I don't know about you, but sometimes for me, it feels like the whole human race is yelling at me sometimes. Make more money, get a better job, lose 10 pounds, maybe 15 pounds, 30, you'll be golden. Stop eating that, start eating this. Don't let your kids do that. Oh my gosh, you let your kids do that? Then when it comes to social media, make sure you post on this, but not on that. Make sure you comment, like, make your life look easy and simple, but important and meaningful. Speak up, stay quiet. Which one do I do when? Of course we are numbing ourselves. Of course we are stressed out. Of course we are overwhelmed and anxious. And God has no place to put his peace because our thoughts are crowding out any open space for peace to be placed in. Friends, we have to make space for peace. Peace is here. Peace is here but we have crowded it out. One of the the best things that you can begin to do to make space for peace, 
I figured out this amazing thing. I I'm going to teach you a trick. Do you know what your phone can do? This is amazing. <laughs> this is amazing. They will not tell you this in the Apple Store. There is a button here on the side. When you press it long enough, here's what happens. It says slide to power off. Jeremy Lopez told me I should have just chucked the phone in the last service. My husband would be angry with me. Some of you just need to turn your phone off. Some of us are living with literally no margin. You have no margin in your life. I am at the front of the line of confession for this one. Some of us have a 24-hour news feed looping over and over in our ears telling us every single day that the world is falling apart. So it is no surprise that we are anxious because it is all that we are choosing to listen to. And some of us in this room, it feels like there's no space in your life. because you are buried in a pit of anxiety, because you are hiding. You're hiding. You're hiding. And the last time I checked, the only thing that grows well in the dark is mold. and you're hiding something in the dark. And the weight of anxiety is so heavy on your heart and God never intended for you to live that way. You have to make a place for peace. The peace of God that passes all understanding the peace of God that is readily available, the peace of God that is always present, we have to make a place for that peace to live. And so many of us have crowded out the possibility for peace to come in and to invade the darkness with light. You know, so often our minds look like the junk drawers that we keep, the ones that you hope no one when they come over, we'll open up. We have to make space. We have to declutter to clear out. We have to learn to say no, to let go. You have to make a place for peace to dwell. But so many of us, this is what our minds feel like. feels so dark and you feel so alone in church we are called to be the ones that turn the lights on we are called to be the ones that say Jesus came as the light of the world <laughs> Jesus came 
to invade that darkness with hope. And love says that there may be a circle of darkness roaming through your thoughts, but I know the one, I actually know the one who circles your life in light. I know the one who circles your life in hope, who gave his life in exchange for your life, who said light shines in the darkness and the darkness will not overcome it. Love says, I know the one. I know the one who has come and has said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. I know the light of the world and church. Our job is to turn the lights on for one another. Because here's what I know, there is going to be a season of your life. It may not be the season you are in right now. But as much as Jesus said, I am the light of the world, he also equally said in this life, you will experience trouble. And look what he gave us. He gave us the body of Christ. He gave us the church. He gave us one another. To say, oh, I've been there. I had the lights go out on me. Let me show you where the switch is. Let me turn the lights on for you. Let me turn the lights on for you. Because no one, no one is meant to walk through this life alone in the darkness. We're meant to circle one another, to circle those spaces of darkness with actual loops of light. When you came in, you saw a string of, of white yarn on your seat. I'd love for you to grab that right now. Luis, will you join me for a moment? Luis. My brother. In Jesus, there's no darkness. There is no darkness. Only light. is what the body of Christ is meant to do for one another. We are called to circle any places of darkness with loops of light. Louis and I don't know each other very well, now we do. <laughs> Thank you. So you have a little string And I want you to turn to the people around you. You may know them, you may not, but in a moment you're gonna. And I want you to say to one another as you tie this around their wrist, in Jesus, there is no darkness, only light. Just take a moment, let's tie these around one another. Everybody needs to make sure that they get a loop of light tied around their wrist.
Soul City, I want to invite you to stand. so long for us to be the kind of church that says no more no more no one will suffer in the silence no one will suffer in the darkness no one will feel the pressure to pretend in this house in this house in this house of Soul City Church we are going to be a house of hope, friends. We're gonna be a house of hope that says, all are welcome, all are wanted. And whenever you get into a loop of darkness, you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna come around you and we're gonna circle you with some light. We're gonna just circle you with the light and the love of Jesus. So I wanna pray for us. We're gonna move into a time of worship. And Jesus, I pray that this would be true of this community. For anyone in this place here today that is hurting or broken within, God, anyone in this place that feels overwhelmed, anyone in this place that has felt the depths of depression, the weight of anxiety, Jesus, I hear you saying, I, I am the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. Anyone in this house, God, that feels so much regret, they feel so much shame from mistakes. Jesus, I pray that your light would cast through the darkness today, that you would minister to us here in this space, that we would experience the ministry of healing, Jesus, as we come to your altar. We pray this in your name and all God's people said, amen.